Thanks for listening to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. Our prayer is that today's message will challenge and inspire you to pursue Jesus and to love people to life. I am delighted to be able to share the word this morning. There's a quote I'd like to start with, and it's, I go out into the streets and look for Jesus in disguise. Does anyone know who said that? I go out into the streets and look for Jesus in disguise. How many of you have ever heard of the name Agnes Bioxu? Agnes Bioxu was born on August 26, in 1910 in Macedonia. Her father died when she was only eight years old. At the age of 12, she purposed in her heart to serve the Lord for the rest of her life. It was at that moment she felt the call to become a missionary. She attended mass regularly and joined the choir. At 18 years of age, Agnes set off for Ireland to join the Sisters of Laredo to learn English in order to become a missionary. After leaving home, she would never see her mother nor her sister again. By the age of 34, she was now a principal of the very school she was at in India. But something happened within her. She looked at the streets in Calcutta, India, and saw abject poverty everywhere. And her heart was drawn to do something about it. During that time, Agnes Bioxu secured another name. She was called Mother Teresa. In this time, she was so disturbed by what she saw, she decided to move into the slums of Calcutta in order to serve the poor. She would write in her diary that her first year was fraught with difficulty and she was discouraged beyond despair. And she ended up turning into a beggar alongside the very people she was supporting. She was looking for food and supplies to make a difference. What would drive a woman to leave her home and her family in order to serve people in a different country? To give up her life of privilege in the convent in order to serve alongside and be amongst the poor. If you hear Mother Teresa share it, she says, I was out looking for Jesus in disguise. I think to myself, what a noble cause for someone to do something like that. What would make her do it? And you can look at scripture and realize that she took her calling straight from Matthew chapter 25 and 35, 36. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. And I was in prison and you visited me. And you read on in that scripture and it says, when did all these happen to you, Lord? And he said, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've what? 
you've done it unto me. Mother Teresa captured the very heart and mission of God himself when he came to earth to transform our lives. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 13. I want to unpack the story for a moment. Imagine, if you will, you're in your last days of life. One of your very own who you invested in for your years of ministry has, a, has betrayed you. You've invested and you've loved and you've cared for. But this day, you're having a celebration. And that celebration is to bring together your disciples, the people you've loved the most and spent the most time with, for a meal before he's going to die. And that's the situation we find ourselves in John chapter 13. And it, it's incredible because when you think about the story and the depths that Jesus will go through to demonstrate his love and his passion toward us, it just blows my mind. And I hope you see that as well this morning. Let's pick up verse one. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them till the very end. The first thing we see in this story is it is a joyous time. Passover is incredibly special and sacred to the Israelites, who God delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. It's a formal ceremony where family and friends come together and celebrate their history. It's not unlike what you and I do for Christmas or Easter. The second thing we see John saying in this verse is that Jesus did it all and he loved till the very end. He, not, he left nothing unfinished that the Father asked him to do. But it says, let's look at verse 2. It says, the evening meal was in progress. Catch that. It's in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So Jesus does something interesting. While the meal is in progress, he gets up, it says, from the meal, took off his outer clothing. You imagine that, right? Big celebrate, takes off his outer clothing and wraps a towel around his waist. And that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around himself. What is utterly shocking here is how this is not the custom of the day. The custom of the day is that the lowliest servant in the house would wash the feet of the guest, not the master or the host. Would not happen. We read where Jesus, in front of everyone, takes off his outer... Think about that, would you, for a moment? The level of humility to take off your outer clothes and then wrap a towel around your waist. Isn't that incredible? And Peter is so disturbed by what he sees. If you look at verse 6, he says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, no. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus said to Peter, and 
Lest I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. How many of you know Peter always got it right, but it was usually the second time? <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. How many of you feel that way? It's usually the second time. We, we got to hear it, you know, and, and then we get there. But I want to ask you something. Jesus says, those who have, have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. He's talking about Judas. My question for you is why was Peter so upset about getting his feet washed? Think about that. Why was he so vehemently opposed to Jesus washing his feet? See, I believe it's because he couldn't fathom the King of glory, the Messiah, in such humility doing an act like that. In fact, if you look up the words in the Greek, he was giving the strongest negative he could. Never will you wash my feet is what he said. It's not happening. But look how Jesus responded so gently. And he says, hey, it must be done. It must be done. This act is really important, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it, it's important enough to unpack because you see the bath, and then you see the foot uh, washing. What's important to note is Jesus was referencing the bath as his complete, unrepeatable cleansing of new birth. Think of it as when we get saved. That's what the bath represents, is that our whole body is clean. The foot washing is different. The washing of the feet represents the repeated cleansing of sin needed for intimacy with Christ through, the, through salvation. So all of us, even though we're believers, we sin and that creates separation. Jesus is showing how we get back in relationship with the Father and that's through forgiveness of sin. And the disciples are struggling a little bit to understand, but he's saying you'll understand uh, how it works very soon. So verse 12, he said, when he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and returned to his place. And he now expounds upon what he did. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. Think about how he phrases this. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What are we to glean from this? Was Jesus asking all of us to go out and physically wash people's feet? No. He was actually talking about something far greater, and we're going to unpack it. Many of us have probably been to foot washing ceremonies and others, and it's an amazing time, and God moves, and it's the most humble act that the receiver can get and the giver can get. It's, it's a beautiful experience, but Jesus was talking about something far grander. He was showing his disciples and saying, I have a better way for you. I have an alternative 
that I want you to consider. And I am modeling it for you so that you can observe what I've done so that you can do it as well. Jesus in his most beautiful elegance was saying, I walk in humility and that's what I've called you to do. Walk in humility. What does that mean? Jesus in his very essence was demonstrating what the heart of a servant should look like. And boy, the standards are high. Can you agree with me? Really, really high, right? I want to contrast a couple of stories because it illustrates why Jesus is talking about this. There's, there's a story in the Bible where uh, James and John, their mother, comes to visit Jesus. Anybody remember this? The sons of Zebedee. And they go, uh, she goes and approaches Jesus. And what's beautiful about the story is that she gets that he's the Messiah. But she asks him a very important question. She says, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, basically, would it be okay if one son is on each side of you? Can you believe that? One son. Could I have one son sitting on each side of you? And Jesus looks at her and goes, do you know what you're asking? Can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? And do you know what the disciples said? Those two said yes. They said yes. Jesus was perceiving what was happening here. And I just want to pick up the verse out of Matthew 20, verse 26. And he talks about how the rulers of the day and the leaders all want to be served. They all want to be in this, in, in authority and rulers and in places of position. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was breaking the very paradigm of what it looks like to be a true leader. And it's found in the heart of humble servitude. The disciples one day were arguing. They were together arguing and Jesus walks up and they, they hush, they, they get quiet. But he once again recognizes what's happening here they realize that they're with the king of glory and that they're going to have some authority and some position. And Jesus sees what's happening and he addresses it. And he says, he sits down and he calls them all around. Imagine how loving he is. We would probably yell, but he, bring, he sits down. He says, hey, come around me, come around me. And this is what he says in verse 35. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Isn't that incredible? Whoever wants to be the greatest must become a servant. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You catch that? Rather, rather he made himself what? 
nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross what are the keys he's trying to say here what is god in all of his greatness trying to impart to his people it's that number one greatness does not come through rulership or authority but through acts of service Number two, that greatness is determined not by our status, but by our service. Those who want to be exalted in the kingdom of God are those who walk in humility. Those that will be the most highly esteemed in the kingdom are those who serve. This is right out of the word of God. To have the highest position among the great in God's kingdom, one must be the very last and servant of all. It's tough words. I've been wrestling this with for three weeks now, thinking about the standard that's been set here. It's incredible what Jesus modeled for you and me, that he disrobed his glory in the heavens, came down to earth, suffered everything as you and I do, yet without sin. Imagine what he had. Imagine the king of glory in the holy of holies with scores of angels attending to him saying, who's going to go and redeem these people? I will. And I will humble myself in the most lowly form to win them and to ransom them back who are we talking about here we're talking about the god who created the heavens and the earth who spoke everything into existence who created you and me out of the very dust of the ground who finds himself kneeling today to wash nasty feet every picture i looked at online for Jesus washing feet, had him in a beautiful robe, not unclothed. And the towel was not wrapped around his waist and the feet that he was washing, they were clean. But that's not what happened. That is not what happened. Jesus was demonstrating what it looks like to get our hands dirty, to put our hands to the plow because we love him, because we serve him. That's what he was doing. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it beautifully puts a wrapper on this story. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he what? For our sakes, he became poor, so that you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. Is that not incredible? Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? It's incredible what he did. You are amazing. You're an amazing God. You know, when you think about this story, you think about what we're talking about, the heart of generosity, looking for Jesus in disguise, it, it begins to change how we think about what we do and the actions that we take. If... If you think about it this way, what's interesting is that God did not put us in our jobs to make money. He put us in our jobs 
to serve. He put us in our neighborhoods to serve. He put us in our community to serve. He gave us a hobby in which to serve. He placed us perfectly in our families. Why? To serve. It's incredible. He has a plan for everything. Feet washing is nasty. It's dirty. And all of us have witnessed that. It's not something we want to do. It's something we are called to do. And it's hard. Every day we must think about our lives and where he's put us and what feet do you want me to wash today? Who do you want me to minister to at this moment? The family member I can't stand, I'm going to love. The coworker that I can't get along with, I'm going to show kindness toward. Those are the type of things that the Lord is looking for us to embrace. The neighbor that is driving us crazy, that we're going to continue to do acts of service, right? Because it shows the love of God and it's counter to what we're taught in society today. Being generous with others is hard. We can do all sorts of things, but our number one goal is our lives have been transformed and we love so much because he loved us that we're willing to sacrifice ourselves in the service of others. Peter was so touched by this sacrificial act that he said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head too. Why did he say that? You ever think about that when you've read it? Why did he say, do those two? I'd submit it's because he had never experienced that kind of love and sacrifice before in his life. He was struck by it. Once he got it, it's like, do it all. I'll take it all. That's what we're to do, is to sacrificially wash the feet of our enemies. And then they experience true love and they see true sacrifice. You know, when you think about, I was, I was contemplating, you know, what, does, what does feet washing look like? And uh, all these examples were coming to mind, but there's a person that came to my mind. How many of you know Lisa Duda, right? Now, this is a peculiar situation because Lisa has never had her own child. She's a woman with a job who has to support herself. And what did Lisa do? She felt the calling to be a foster parent. And, I, and, and uh, Steve is in our connect group, so every now and then we get updates. I said, Steve, how many kids has Lisa touched? It's well over a dozen kids she's brought into her home. That's what feet washing looks like. You're talking about a woman who doesn't have a partner to help shoulder the financial burden. She still has to work a full-time job, and yet her heart is knit together to what I'll serve the least among us. I will give them a hand. And not only that, that's beautiful. I saw something she had written one time that said, you know, we take care of the children because they're the most vulnerable among us, but we also have to remember their parents. It's easy for us to judge the very parents who aren't taking care of their children, but the truth is they're vulnerable too. And so she's been able to minister. Guys, that's what feet washing looks like. Tracy and Carl Courier, same thing. 
Joe and Sarah Fournier, same thing. I will be his hands extended in a world. It's going to cost me a lot. I'm going to have to sacrifice a ton of time. I'm going to do it. There there are heroes in the faith. I think about my sister-in-law and her husband who lost their son suddenly at the age of 14. It broke them, nearly broke them. It took them years to climb out of the wilderness. What are they doing today? They're foster parents. They got a little boy, Connor, that they're taking care of, that they're pouring into. Feet washing is hard. It's a struggle. Nobody says it's going to be easy when you're getting your hands dirty. But when we do that because of the love of God, he somehow, he gives us more time. He gives us more resources. He gives us more peace in our lives. He makes crooked paths straight because we are in service to him because of his great love. God is looking for an army of feet washers, those that will do and go beyond what they think is possible, that they'll bend that back to say, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. That's what he's looking for. And it's hard. It is so hard as I look at this. You know, I think about even the most basic foot washing. I was walking out two weeks ago and it was frigid cold outside. I'm like, man, it's miserable. And who do I pass? Uh, Angel Rivera in that golf cart. (laughs) And I said, what are you doing? He's taking folks back and forth to the car. But how many of you know that that is washing feet? That little act. He's cold. It's not comfortable. He's missing being inside. But his heart is, I'll serve you. You know, I'll serve you. That's what God is looking for. The second thing we have to think about is not just our sphere of influence, but God wants us to reach into our world and affect change. I want to return to the story of Mother Teresa because, yes, she started working with the poor, but she noticed something. The need was far greater than she could ever imagine. When most people think of Mother Teresa, they think of this woman and her work in the slums of Calcutta, tending to the needs of the poor. But the truth is, she will tell you her first mission was to love Jesus with all her heart. That's what she said. She said, every morning I wake up and I say the same three words, good morning, Jesus. Isn't that incredible? She said, I serve because I love him. Greater love hath no man than one who lays down his life for his brothers. I want to show you a video of her own words for just a moment. Jesus said that I have chosen you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. To be where he wants you to be. If if he puts you in the street, if everything is taken from you and suddenly you find yourself in the street, to accept to be in the street at that moment. Not, to you, not for you to put yourself in the street, but to accept to be put there. This is quite different. To accept if God wants you to be in a palace, all right? to accept to be in the palace, as long as you are not choosing to be in the palace. This is the difference. This is what makes the difference in total surrender, to accept whatever he gives and to give whatever it takes with a big smile. This is the surrender to to God. 
and to accept to be cut to pieces, and yet every piece to belong only to him. This is the surrender. To accept all the people that come, the, the work that you happen to do, to have today maybe you have a good meal, and tomorrow maybe you have nothing. There is no water in the pump, all right? To accept. And to, to give whatever it takes. It takes your good name, it takes your, your health, it takes, yes. That's the surrender. And that is the, you are free then. It takes such sacrifice to do uh, what she did. It, it convicts me. It convicts my heart because I just see the love being poured out in some of the most difficult places on this earth. I love what she shared. She framed the need in a way that would cause her to run to the problem versus to run from it. She said, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, catch her perspective. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. Jesus inspired her to serve so much so that she had to learn six languages in order to do it. This is such a critical point, but someone said of her, they say of her mystery, ministry, it wasn't her goal to eliminate suffering as it, as it was to love those who suffer. It wasn't about building shiny hospitals as it was to give a dying person a bed and a hand to hold in their last moments. Her mission was not so much to cure wounds and sores as it was to cure what she called the poverty of being lonely, unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. God, give us a heart to see you in disguise to love those around us with a fervency you had when you gave your all for us. What you may not know about Mother Teresa is that she dealt with significant spiritual dryness, and she wrote about it. She once said, where is my faith? When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such a convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like a cutting sword and touch my very soul. What did she do through her spiritual dryness? She served. That's what she did. She lived generously. Over 66 years, she wrote countless letters and she sent a message out to those who kept those letters and said, please burn them. I don't want people to think more of me than they think of Jesus. Mother Teresa left a legacy of 610 missions around the world, homes for people with HIV and AIDS, leprosy and tuberculosis, as well as countless soup kitchens and mobile clinics. How many of you would agree that's washing feet at its finest? Romans 12.20 says, these are hard words, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. By the way, that's a positive. It's not a negative. It warms the whole body. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. 
1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. My brother and I rarely attended church growing up, but one year we went to vacation Bible school and they had a memory verse for us to memorize. It was Matthew 5, 44. Both of us still remember that verse by heart to this day. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Isn't that incredible? What does it look like? It means if we're holding a 20-year grudge for someone... It's got to go. There's no place in the kingdom to hold grudges. There's no place in the kingdom to hold bitterness against another person. No. It's, it's about giving love when you've gotten nothing in return, but you still do it anyway. It doesn't mean we condone wrong acts. It doesn't mean we agree. It means we love. I want you to catch something that Jesus, what's really critical, and I started by saying this is such a profound thing, but remember that Jesus disrobed. He put the towel around his waist. And I started thinking about who are the people whose feet was he washing? He gets down on his knees and think about Judas. He washed the very feet of his betrayer someone who stole from him, someone who he gave his all to, someone who saw countless miracles. Did he say all that? I did this for you. How could you do this? You're throwing your life away. He said, I'll wash your dirty feet. And what about Peter? I'll die with you. I'll die with you, Lord. In just a few hours, he would deny Jesus three times. What did Jesus do? Did he say it? No. He washed his feet. And what about Thomas who said, unless I see the nail-scarred hands and feet and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas, let me wash your feet. That's the type of God we serve. And then he looked at the disciples and Remember when he was in the garden, he said, would you pray with me for an hour? And he sweat as drops as blood, and he was wrestling with the fact that his life was about to be poured out as a drink offering. Would you pray with me? And they were asleep. But what did he say? I'll wash your feet. I will wash your feet. He never threw it up in their faces to condemn them. He said, I'm going to love you no matter what. The very verse we started with, he loved till the very end. He left nothing in the tank. He gave it all out. Peter himself said, I want more of this. Wash my hands and my head as well. And that's the God we serve. You know, that, that he looks at the betrayer and he's willing to give out the same as he would for the, for the one who is totally dedicated to him. God is calling an army 
of feet washers, that we would get our hands dirty, that we would go beyond what we think is even possible. It's incredible. When did I see you hungry or thirsty? When did I see you needing clothing or shelter or imprisoned? As much as you've done it to the least of these, you have done it for me. And I think about that and I say, Lord, taking on the form of a servant, the lowliest of all, do we wash the feet of our children, of our spouse, of our betrayers and our doubters and our deniers in our lives? Or do we write them off because Jesus came and he said, I'm going to show you a better way. It's not going to make sense, but I'm going to show you a better way. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says something incredibly profound. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What does it say next? Do what it says. It's hard. It's incredibly hard. But in our lives, God is saying, I gave my all. What more could I give? Did you not experience it? Have I not lifted up, lifted you up? Have I not blessed your life? Have I not given you a purpose, you and me? He's saying, go and do likewise. That's what God is looking for. Let's, uh, I'd just like to ask everyone to close your eyes for a moment. And those, those of you, and ask the musicians to come up. Those of you that are watching online today and you're thinking, what is this all about? I feel something missing within me. Maybe you're on the west side or you're in the auditorium here. And in your heart of hearts, you feel like something's missing. Maybe you feel like you're, you're Peter and you, you're the denier. You've denied. Maybe you feel like Thomas, the doubter. Maybe you've feel like you've been Judas, the betrayer, that you betrayed your first love. God is wanting to wash your feet. He's wanting to restore the relationship with you. You know, when we raise our hand, it's an act of surrender, whether you're watching online or in one of our campuses, I'd ask you to raise your hands if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior because today you have an opportunity to surrender every ounce of your being to the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who said, I will give you a hope and a future, the God who says, I will do through you what you never thought was possible. If that's you, I'd like everyone to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I recognize this day you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of every sin I've committed. Be the Lord of my life. I 
Lord, give me a hope and a future in you. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. Our prayer is that this message encouraged and inspired you in your journey with Christ. For more information, you can visit our website at th.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at TowerHillNH. To give online, you can go to th.church/giving. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.